Come on, 3W Church, give God the biggest shout of praise. Kiddos, you can be released to the teachers. Joel and I led. You can go meet your teachers back. They got a power-packed message that they're going to deliver to you. And perhaps you're new or you haven't encountered this. Let me tell you, when you intentionally go before God to receive from him with a spirit of expectation, God will meet you. God will meet you. And he is faithful. Oh, my God is faithful. Oh, he is faithful. My God is faithful. I feel that's a word for some of you this morning. Faithful. And I feel in my spirit, there's somebody, I don't know if it's in person or online, but I feel in my spirit, somebody that's connected to this house right now. You need to really big somewhere in your house, write the word faithful. Whether it be that you print it, you, you write it, you, you find a poster, something you need to put faithful where you can constantly see it and be reminded of his faithfulness. Again, I don't know if that's for one person or maybe it's more than one, but I just, I, I just, I can in my spirit just see the word faithful written across a wall. It's faithful. And we thank you, God, for you never let go. Ever, ever, ever. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Wow. We could close service right here. But I got to deposit this word in you. So, um, if you got to go, feel released. But God's got something else for some of you. I feel it's for all of you, but I'm going to get into it. You know, I, you asked me, what is our church? What's the purpose of it? Why are we here? Why do we exist, man? It's simple. Worship without walls exists to take people to a place where they can acknowledge, trust, and lean on God daily. This that just happened, God, we can, guys, we can do this daily. We can do this daily. I'm sure there's some ring doorbell cameras in my neighborhood that if they looked up On Thursday, when I was on a prayer walk and singing this song with my AirPods on, and I was singing it, screaming it, walking around with my hands up, people probably thought I'd be bananas. But you can encounter God daily 
if you are intentional about pursuing him. Can I pastor you? We go to God to give him honor and praise. But unfortunately, the majority of believers only go to him to ask for stuff. But when we intentionally set aside time to just sing to him, to glorify him, and then you start reading the word, which you should do every single day. have these encounters and you get to that place where you can daily acknowledge trust and then lean on him don't worry it's not COVID I'm not sick I was just crying a minute ago daily encounters with his presence daily encounters with his presence gather corporately and everybody intentionally had been pursuing God and then we gather there, there's this, this just explosiveness and because God is so awesome we have technology that we can reach you at home too and if you are intentional while you're at home because you were sick or there was a situation or whatever, and you intentionally are setting aside the time to be with God, he can encounter you there too. Because he's not a respecter of persons and he knows no distance. He's everywhere. He's in your living room. But it's the intentionality of the pursuit. of God you know and if you're stirred if any of you are part of our church and and you have a gifting that God has given you in that area of of, of worship speak to our sister Damaris and get plugged into the process and use your gift and be a good sort of your gifting same way if you if you want to serve in media if you want to serve in, in, in kids ministry if you want to serve in ushers greeters man use your gifting and serve Amen. All right, let's get into the word. Because God is awesome. Can we get one more hand of praise for the Lord? Amen. For God. We're starting off a new series today. And the title is, is I mean, it's really long. It's happy. And you think of this word happy, and I don't know if you've encountered people who are always in that pursuit of happiness. 
They're always chasing it. And the reason they're always chasing is because there's no contentment, and it makes you ask the question, what is happiness really, right? And, and, and I was thinking about this, and, and, and there's this phrase that I hear all the time. I just want to be happy. Or we tell people, no, 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 I just, I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. But what happens is that, that I just want to be happy the way I, the Lord showed it to me was like, it's like having a map and a car, but no destination. Because it's just a statement. It's like the people that say, I want to lose weight. I want to make more money. I want to get out of debt. I want to do this. It's just, it's, it's a open-ended roadmap and a car that's gassed up, but no destination to get to. And why is that? It's because when the mindset or the foundational belief that what brings happiness is getting, we never get enough. So I wrote down this this morning. The foundational belief of what brings happiness is where the issue lies and why so many people never reach it. Because it's a foundational thing of what's going to bring happy. If, I, if, if, if you're single, we say things like, well, if I only had my boyfriend or a husband, then I would be okay. Married people, when they got married and realized that didn't fix it, then they say, well, when we have a child, it'll be okay. Child number two. No, when I get the promotion, it'll be okay. When, when I get the bigger house, it'll be okay. When I get this. And so the foundational mindset of I just want to be happy has to shift to what is it that God does to make us happy so it can last. So you, 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 you think of what happiness is, and, and I rate it this way. Happiness is a character thing. It's a character thing. And I'm going to explain that to you throughout the preaching and throughout the series, Okay. It's a character thing. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 starts the Sermon on the Mount. The first portion of Matthew chapter 5 is known as the Beatitudes. Anybody ever heard the word Beatitude? Anybody know what the word Beatitude mean? I'm glad because I had to look it up too. The word Beatitude is not even a word we use. Think about it. Have you ever used the word Beatitude in your life other than when you refer to the Beatitudes? So if you actually Google search Beatitudes, if you're online, don't get disconnected, but if you check right now, you can, you can check it out. You put in the word beatitudes, and it means supreme blessedness, and then it says it refers to what Jesus spoke in the... To the da, 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 da. That is what... It, Jesus made up a word, people. Beatitudes. If you think about it in that way. And so the beatitudes, those first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, really verses 3 through 12, because 1 and 2 are laying down for the foundation of where it's going to take place, where they're going, and Jesus opens his mouth to speak to them. It is the description of the character of a citizen of the kingdom. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are not of this world. Anybody, ever, anybody see our, our family Christmas card that we sent out via email this year? Okay, so we, we sent it out via the flock note and, and, and the stuff. And it was a, a picture of my wife and I and my three girls in space, in front of the space shuttle or whatever, and the thing, and, and we put from our out-of-this-world family to yours. Merry Christmas. See, we understand that we are not of this world. We understand that Jesus said, as I am not of this world, they are not of this world. That's why they're going to face persecution. It's why people ridicule us. It's why people think we're crazy. Yeah, I've had a lot of people think I'm crazy, and I'm okay with it. 
Think whatever you want. You don't define me. God does. And so the beatitude describes the character of a kingdom citizen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes that we are citizens of heaven. And so I said the word beatitude means supreme blessedness, and Jesus was describing what it was to have the character attributes of a kingdom citizen. So let's read that, starting in verse number 3 of Matthew chapter 5, and it says like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, before we get any deeper into this, we need to understand what the word blessed means. So this word blessed, when you look it up in the original Greek, it is the word makarios. I probably butchered this, the, the pronunciation of it, but it, it, it's makarios. Not makarena, makarios. And it means happy, supremely blessed. A condition where congratulations are in order. You ever seen an expectant mom, right? They got this glow. You're glowing, right? We say things like that. You're glowing. Why? Because you are with child. Congratulations are in order. I am supremely blessed. We could have titled this series Supreme Blessedness. But we went with happy. And as we read this, I want us to think of that, of the word happy, and so happy are those, happy are those. Now, now a little bit more information that I, that I learned about Macarios. So the word Macarios actually stemmed from a Greek island, uh, what we kind of know as the Isle of Cyprus, and, and, and so they believed and they thought that that island had everything that you needed to be self-sufficient. You needed nothing from outside of the island, and so they termed it the island Macarios or the happy island because you needed nothing else outside of it. And Jesus is using a word that is letting you know, outside of me, you need nothing so you can be supremely blessed, Macarios. So then we get to that first one that Jesus says there. Happy are the poor in spirit. Again, we can say it as happy are instead of just blessed. We can say happy are. And in, in Spanish, it's very, very uh, poetic. Bienaventurado los. Happy are the poor in spirit. Now, being poor in spirit, I, I need you to understand something. It is not describing physical poverty, but rather a spiritual need. And I know I skipped two slides. You can go to the other one and then come back. It's not physical poverty. And I want to say this because I've heard many people misquote scripture and tell me things like this. Well, the Bible says, blessed are the poor. Has anybody ever heard that? There's people that believe that being a believer, you should take a vow of poverty, and they tell you because blessed are the poor. But Jesus here is not describing a physical poverty. 
He's talking about poor in spirit. So I, I, if I asked you the question or if you asked me the question, well, pastor, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means this. It's recognizing that you are spiritually bankrupt. What is bankruptcy? It's when you put way more on your credit card and on your debt stuff that you could ever afford to pay. So you file for bankruptcy. You tell the bank, I can't pay this. I can't do this. And so you get your credit destroyed and you do all these different things and you file for bankruptcy. So poor in spirit is getting to the realization that as a person, I can never get to God because I am deficient. I can never pay the debt that I would need to pay of what I have consumed as a human being. I am spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus said, when you get to the recognition that outside of me you can do nothing and you are poor, you are bankrupt, at that point is where then you can have the kingdom of heaven. See, that's where you can start the process of becoming a citizen of the kingdom because you recognize that in the country you were living, you couldn't be. You are going to the kingdom to ask for asylum. Any asylum seekers in this building? You fled your country. My parents remind me all the time, tu naciste aquí porque la cosa en Cuba estaba mala, right? Like you were born here because the stuff in Cuba was bad. And so what is it that when I, in my humanoid state, realize that my life is going to lead me to an eternal death and destruction, I file for asylum in the kingdom of heaven. I am spiritually bankrupt, and I say, I need you. That leads me then to the second one, which is when Jesus says, blessed or happy are those who mourn. So... Let's be clear here for a second, because it says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this is not talking about a physical mourning or a grief. Go to Isaiah chapter 61. Leave it here. We're going to come back. But if you go to Isaiah chapter 61, this is also the part that Jesus reads when he goes into the synagogue, and he asks for the scroll, and he reads, and he addresses everybody. This is what he reads. In Isaiah chapter 61, he says this. Um, thank you. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of our Lord, that he may be glorified. So here, Jesus is describing, when he reads it on, he says, this has been fulfilled in front of you. He does comfort that person who is, as you would call it, enlutado, in a state of mourning, in an abnormal mourning, a person who is just in a grief that they can't get out of. But the, what, it, what it was being connoted, is that, is that a word? The connotation of Matthew 5, 4, when it says, blessed are those who mourn, it's talking about when you get to the place where you feel the heaviness of the sorrow or the weight of repentance. See, that's the difference. Happy are those who mourn is not a physical grief. 
It is those who experience the sorrow of repentance. And can I tell you, true repentance brings a weight. I remember years ago having to deal with a situation where somebody got found out. And um, when we spoke with the person, the person said this, I'm just so glad it's out in the open. I feel like a weight has been lifted off of me. Can I tell you something? That wasn't repentance. True repentance brings a weight of sorrow that then only God can comfort. There's a distinction. I actually wrote it down this way. Sorry doesn't equal repentance. Sorry doesn't equal repentance. Have you ever done something and say, I'm sorry? Your kids do something to each other? Tell your sister you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Mean it. I'm sorry. No, for real, right? Like saying sorry doesn't, that doesn't equal repentance. I was saying the example earlier. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, Abigail, we've been telling her since she was, I mean, since she could pick up food, she nibbles. Like she'll get the cracker or the pizza and she'll eat it in nibbles like a, like a rabbit. And I'm like, Abigail, take a bite. Don't nibble your food, right? And she'll say, sorry, dad. And then I'll say something like, don't just tell me you're sorry, change the behavior. Because we do this all the time. We're like, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But there's no repentance. Can I show you a picture of repentance? This was a beautiful picture for me. I, I, I learned this. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, during Abigail's birthday in October, we went ice skating. And um, towards the end of the ice skating party, Alexandra fell down when she got up from the table. She fell. She hit her head. She started crying profusely. Um, uh, we, we started checking on her. Um, um, our brother Jose was there, who's a doctor. He came over to check on her. She was fine and, and all the different stuff. But, and I kept asking her, Mama, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And, and she looked at him and she said, because I ruined Abigail's birthday. She was crying in a weight of an angst that she thought she ruined her sister's party because the focus had shifted to her because she fell. Then Abigail in another corner is crying. And I'm Abigail, why are you crying? <laughs> She's like, because when we went to get up off the table, I kind of pushed her a little bit and I think I made her fall. So here they both are, right? <laughs> They're feeling a weight of a situation Guys, that is the picture of sorrowful repentance. I feel a weight, but then you don't stay with the weight. God says, Jesus says, then you will be comforted. When you look at the Greek, okay, and I don't speak Greek and I don't read Greek, but I will go to the Greek lexicon and I look it up in the original and I do all of that, okay? It is the word parakleo, which is the same root word that Jesus uses later on when he says, I am leaving, but I will send you the parakletos, the other helper, the Holy Spirit. See, when you get to the realization 
the revelation that I am spiritually bankrupt, it brings this weight of, of, of what have I done. It's like, like, like King um, uh, uh, Josiah, is it Josiah? Uh, I think it's Josiah, that, that, that he, he reads, he, he starts doing the things right, and, and they bring him the, the, the scripture, they bring him the scroll, and he reads the scrolls, and he hears everything that they have done to separate from God, and he rips his clothes, and he has this weight, and he says, God, forgive us. And as a matter of fact, God later says to him, and correct me if I said the wrong uh, king, I'm sorry, I can look it up the story, but uh, there's a lot of kings in history and in Judah. Uh, um, God looks and says, because of the way you reacted, there will be peace upon you and the judgment will come after you. He felt the sorrow, the weight of I'm wrong. But we're living in a society that says, you just be you, boo. Do what you feel is right. Whatever you want to do that's happy. Oh, I just want to go sleep with my boyfriend? No, bud, that's sin. No, this is the way I was born, so I'm going to live this lifestyle of homosexuality. Nope, sin. No, it's, it's my body, my choice. I can have an abortion. Nope, murder, sin. I'm going to keep going. I'm unapologetic about what the scripture says. You're in sin, I still love you, but I'm going to let you know there needs to be a change when you experience the sorrow of repentance. That's the difference. That is the catalyst. Recognizing you're spiritually bankrupt, repenting of that sin, receiving the comfort, then comes the change. If there is no change of behavior, there was no repentance. I've had many conversations about sin with people. I, I, it's, it is, look, I don't take pleasure in it. It is the hardest part of my quote-unquote job or responsibility of a, as a pastor is call out sin, especially when you got to do it one-on-one. Depending on the person's state of brokenness and humility to the Lord and recognition, they will acknowledge and repent and fix I love this family, Sergio and Isa, beautiful family. They got to church broken, not knowing Jesus, living in sin. And they got saved, and they were going to get baptized. And I'll never forget, he pulled me after service into the room, and he said, we're getting baptized next week, but we don't want to get baptized still living in sin. Can we get married before we get baptized? We cried, we wept, there was a recognition and a change of behavior. How do I make it right? I got off platform because I just wanted to get their permission. I don't share without permission. And then I rejoice when I see my teddy bear friend that looks like a giant Worshiping God with all that he has. Why? Because there was a point of realization of the bankruptcy and a calling of the need of a savior, the receiving of a repentance and aligning life. Can I tell you, if we don't put our life in order, we cannot walk supremely blessed. 
we cannot attain happiness. Some people receive it. Some people leave the church and then talk bad about me. And that's okay too. Because when I went to sleep, I can say, God, I did what you asked me to do as a pastor and as a shepherd. So you ask the question about the statement, I just want to be happy. What happens if you, as a parent, lead a life of only wanting your children to be happy? They will be diabetic by the time they're 12 with all the candy they only eat, <laughs> right? Man, I'll never forget. This was, this was probably one of my biggest missteps as a teacher. Okay, I'm going to be honest, authentic, transparent. I was teaching fifth grade. And I had this young boy in my class that was very, 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 very heavy set. And so much so that a lot of the other kids would make fun of him. And I would correct that behavior. But every day, like clockwork, right before lunchtime, mom would come to the school and drop off Burger King or McDonald's as his lunch. And one day she asked me for a parent-teacher conference. And she said, Mr. Perez, I need you to help me. All these kids are making fun of my son, and they're doing the this and they're doing the that. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, you're not helping by bringing them McDonald's and Burger King every day for lunch. You are unhealthily taking your child into a bad place. But it's what he wants to eat. Let's go back to present day. I'm telling you, I, shouldn't probably, I probably should not have said that. It's not my parent. I'm not as a parent. I'm not a nutritionist, but I, whatever. I mess up all the time. What can I tell you? I'm very good at messing up and saying I'm sorry and meaning it. So we cannot expect to receive supreme blessedness and the happiness that can truly only come from God if we want to stay comfortable in our sin, if we want to linger in our sin, whatever sin that may be, fill in the blank, guys, sin is sin to God. So what do you want me to do? Stop living in the sin. As you work your way out of it through the presence of God daily, stop entertaining it and doing it. So what does that mean? Well, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend, stop until you get married. If you're cheating on your taxes, stop, because Uncle Sam don't play, and you're also going to go to jail. <laughs> if you are speaking in profanity all the time, stop. The Bible says, let no impure words come out of my mouth. If you constantly lie, stop, because your yes is supposed to be yes, and your no is supposed to be no. Oh, pastor, you're talking about little things, because sin is sin. In the same way I can tell you that sleeping with a girlfriend is sin, I'm going to tell you lying is sin. And so is cheating and stealing and not resting or taking a Sabbath. Pastor, how'd you go there, man? Just look at the Ten Commandments. Can we, uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to pastor you. Go to Exodus chapter 20. 
Media team, thank you for bearing with me. You guys are rock stars. No matter who's in that booth, you guys are rock stars. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Watch this. I'm the Lord your God who when you're spiritually bankrupt is the one who saves you. You shall have no other gods before me. I want the supreme place in your life. This is God talking. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. In other words, nothing comes before me. Some people, unfortunately, actually worship statues and idols. This is, if anybody asks you, well, why is having a Santa Barbara wrong? Because God said, don't. Okay? Santa Barbara is one of the, one of the saints that, that uh, the, especially uh, a lot of the Hispanics. I, was, I saw him turn around and was like, what's Santa Barbara? <laughs> I'm not bringing condemnation. I'm bringing you biblical truth. God said, don't have any statue of anything on heaven, on earth, on anything. That means don't make an elephant and worship the elephant. Don't get one of those little uh, lucky bonsai trees or lucky, uh, what are they called? The, the little bamboo trees because, oh, they bring me luck. Asabache, step on it and break it, Pablo. None of that stuff. Those are idols that are bringing curses upon your life. All-seeing eye, stomp on them. Get rid of them. Pastor, you're going really deep on this stuff. Yep, I love you. And I want everything in us that is keeping us from God to go away. Okay? Now look what he continues to say. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless, will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. So can I, tell, can I, can I, can I pastor you again? <laughs> You tell me yes. So if you don't want to, that's okay. But, but those of you who see me as your pastor, you can tell me yes. Okay. Taking the Lord's name in vain is more than just saying Jesus Christ or oh my God. All right. Okay. It's more than that. When you go up to somebody and said, God told me to tell you this and God didn't tell you squat diddly, you took the Lord's name in vain. Oh man, it got really quiet. Do you notice... I'm very intentional because I know I'm going to have to give an account to God. Sorry, I got to go back here. So let's put this down. I'm very intentional with it. L go back and listen. Even today when I was sharing what I was feeling in my spirit, I didn't say God is showing me the word faithfulness, but in my spirit, I could feel it. I didn't hear an audible voice telling me God said this. But in my connecting with the Lord, I can, I can sense it. I can feel it, but I'm very... I'm not going to take his name in vain. So it's more so than just using his name. And you don't know how many times I've had to bite my tongues when people have told me, no, God told me to do this. And I can know it's not God because it's a sin, what, God, what they told me God told them to do. God never is going to tell you to do something that's sin. Ever, 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 ever. 
He's going to tell you to do something that breaks his law. And then look at the next one. This is the one I wanted to get to, but we'll go through all of them. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it, made it a holy day. Take a day off. And what do you do in that day? Nothing that is my job my work. I spend time with God. I spend time with my wife. I spend time with my kids. I, I, I do a hobby. I do whatever. Nothing that deals with work. That, in my opinion, is the most broken commandment by Christians. In my personal opinion, I don't have statistics to back that up. It's my personal opinion and experience of talking to people and saying, oh, no, I don't think. And you know what's been the worst culprit of it? The invention of smartphones. As a matter of fact, this one I do have research on from when I studied for the Refresh series last year. They thought that the invention of having email on your phones was going to help people be more productive and, and all these different things. But in actuality, what they started finding was that all the people were now working extra hours because they were answering all these emails before going to work to get there and then do all this stuff. So people were still getting paid the same, but ended up working four and five, six different more hours a day. Additionally to that, they never disconnect. So it's leading up to burnout, even in corporations and in all kinds of different things. It was leading to burnout. People take a day off. Disconnect from your phone. Put it on do not disturb. As a matter of fact, now that I, I just realized, this, now I've, iPhone on the latest update, you can choose a focus when you do do not disturb. I'm going to make one of them that says Sabbath. And if you text me, you're going to get a reply on my Sabbath, and it says, I'm Sabbathing. <laughs> That's my focus today. Let's keep going. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Now, I'm going to talk to both kids and I'm going to talk to parents. Honor does not mean do everything they tell you. As an adult, it changes. What is honor? I respect. I listen. I heed advice that's good. I, 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 I honor. I don't speak bad about them. I, I don't put them in a the thing. That is honor. I revere them. I give them the place that they deserve. Because sometimes we have it twisted. And I've heard parents say to their children who, you know, have more gray hair already. They're 60 years old and the mom's 90 and mom's like, Pero tiene que decirlo, you know, whatever. And it's like, and then they'll say, Good, you have to honor me. Well, honor doesn't mean that I do everything you tell me, especially as an adult. When you're a minor, that's a different ballgame. Different ballgame. But all of you that are in here, some of you perhaps still have your parents alive. You need to honor them. That is the first and only commandment that brings forth a blessing. Look at what it says. Honor them that your life or your days may be long upon the land. Long life. Again, minor, different ballgame. Then he says, you shall not murder. 
Now, that one's pretty simple, but Jesus expands upon it in Matthew and says, if you have this hatred in your heart towards somebody, you're already conspiring to kill them in your thoughts. Then it says, you shall not commit adultery. What's adultery? Sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse when you're married. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not live like the Joneses. <laughs> if we look at those things, man, there's a lot of things in there that, 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 that we can identify as what it is that's sin. And what God is saying is don't break covenant with me by doing what pleases you other than what pleases God. So you ask me, what does it mean to be happy? How do I achieve happiness? Well, it starts with the brokenness and repentance, or, or sorry, the recognition that we are spiritually bankrupt, and that leads me then to repenting and receiving the comfort of the paracletos. Look at what, and worship team, start coming up. Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. It says, where are you, 2 Corinthians? Oh, there it is. Thank you. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Many of you have heard me say this before. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, I feel bad for what I did. I go hide in a corner. Conviction is a godly sorrow that then leads me to repent and receive the comfort from the paracletos. What do you do when you're cold? You get the comforter and you wrap yourself in it. That's the visual of this life of happiness. I am broken. I am in need of that Savior. I repent and I am wrapped in this comforter, the paracletos, who lets me then change the behavior and live happy. Stand to your feet. I could keep going, but we'll continue next week. Father, this morning, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your mercy. Lord, I, I, I repent. I, I speak for myself. God, there's, there's been times where I just want to do what I want. even like Sarah who got tired of waiting and decided to do it her way I've done that and I repent God I thank you for the comfort that the paracletos brings when I feel that conviction and I run to you God and I want you to actually do that whether you're here in the building or online take, take this next minute and if there's something in your life that you need to repent that you need to get right with God on. This is the time. Just you right there where you are. Perhaps some of you watching online or in the building today, you, you are experiencing or realizing, hey, I am spiritually bankrupt and I need to repent to receive that savior. 
And let's pray this together. And if that's you, I want you to say this, and we're going to pray it with you and say, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm spiritually bankrupt. And I need a Savior. And I believe your son Jesus is that Savior. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to pay the price of my spiritual bankruptcy. So today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart. Write my name in the book of life. God, I commit to change the behavior, to stop sinning. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but every day I will sin less because of your grace and your mercy. Lord, write my name in the book of life. In Jesus' name. Amen.